Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. I am one of your wonderful co-hosts, Andrew Mullen, and I'm joined by the even more wonderful Michael Livingston. Thank you, Andrew. Of course. Of course, Michael, you are indeed wonderful. We're also enjoyed by the ever-wonderful podcast editor, Ben Ackley. Yeah, Ben Ackley. I think you might be taking a bit of a backseat on this one because we have a guest in today. Um, the guest that uh, gives me and Michael, probably Ben too, I'm going to assume, a lot of headaches when we work at Central Michigan Life, but uh, he supposedly helps us anyway. So very happy to have very happy to have on uh, our guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Dave Clark. I'm the advisor of CM Life and a Van Halen super fan, which is why I'm with you today. Yes. And so. the patron saint of dad rock. <laughs> is that me or is that Edward? That's you. Oh, that's me. Okay. Oh, lovely. So, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But uh, before we kind of get into that, though, I, I should kind of point out that, A, first of all, we've had a bit of a change in, you know, the scheduled programming. We were supposed to do a episode, you know, we're supposed to record an episode for this week about um, uh, kind of our kind of picking randomly through each of our vinyl collections and kind of talking about records and what we picked out. Uh, fortunately, though, due to unfortunate circumstances, that had to be pushed back. Uh, and you, you might also begin this episode a little bit later than usual. But again, that's mainly because uh, scheduling conflicts. But uh, as Dave pointed out, yes, we we're here not for the happiest of reasons. Um, I'm sure anyone listening by now has heard, you know, it's the news has been out for about a week now. Uh, guitar legend and icon, uh, Eddie Van Halen, passed away at the age of 65 due to cancer um, last week. And it's, yeah, it, it it sucks. It's sad. We can insert, you know, 2020 is the worst fucking thing ever here. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's a really sad thing. And I never thought we would do this episode, honestly. And uh, that's mainly because, uh, you know, there's someone on the podcast, I'm sure he'll introduce himself in a second, uh, who's not really a big fan of Van Halen, which is fine. I'm not like sitting there to, to judge or anything. But um, it, it, because of that, I never thought to me to do a Van Halen episode. So I'm not sure how we would have done it. But now that with Eddie's passing, we thought it would be probably the best time to kind of share, you know, uh, our, our thoughts in the band and more or less kind of celebrate his legacy, celebrate his talents and virtuosos as a guitarist. Um, yeah. even, and even me who wasn't the biggest Van Halen fan going in, I understood and I knew the necessity that a Van Halen episode was needed or at least an Eddie Van Halen episode. Um, because, in, you know, in my mind and in many other people's mind, uh, he's the most important person in the band. I mean, it's his last name. So of course, yeah, and just just to uh, be abundantly clear for people who know me, they know I'm a huge Van Halen fan. I have been for a long time. So I would just like to point out that this episode was not my idea. And <laughs> the soundcheck guys are not being held hostage to do this against their will. <laughs> they chose this topic. And, um, and I would say, Andrew, that... Um, you know, this is a time to really celebrate this music um, and certainly celebrate the, the genius of, of Edward Van Halen. 
Um, and that's not a word that I, I throw around uh, lightly at all. I mean, his impact on music since 1978 has been immeasurable. And um, when people talk about guitar heroes, and there's a lot of this discussion that's happened since um, Edward passed away, um, you know, we think a guitar hero, there's just not that many. I mean, honestly, you can't put Edward up against like a Jeff Beck or um, a Joe Perry or even an Eric Clapton, who is Edward's hero. I mean, those are great guitar players that, um, you know, second to none. Pete Townsend, uh, another one of his influences. Um, but Edward did much more than just play guitar. He sort of reinvented the style of rock guitar uh, in 1978 um, and, and sort of left everybody in his wake for about the next 30 years. And in addition to that, he made um, an impact on guitar players, not just with his style and virtuosity, but also he was an inventor. Um, some of the things that he came up with, uh, along with people like Floyd Rose and the Kramer Guitar Company, um, you know, the Wolfgang guitar that we saw Jack White play on Saturday Night Live this past weekend. Um, those are all innovations that, you know, even when we think of, you know, guitar hero, uh, Jimi Hendrix instantly comes to mind. You know, Jimi Hendrix didn't design his own guitars. He didn't uh, cobble them together piece by piece like Ed did. So um, really his influence is immeasurable. And um, I found out he also invented tablature too, or had a yeah. hand, that, which is the way I learned guitar and the way so many other people learn guitar nowadays. You could say that Edward's career really spawned a whole cottage industry uh, with not just guitar players, but um, you know, music stores and, and guitar makers and things like that. So it's a really good time to, to just appreciate uh, the man and, and the impact that he made on music and uh, the fact that that's going to live on, not just the songs, but um, all the innovations um, that he's responsible for. So um as much as I'd like to be sad, every time I listen to this music, it just ends up putting a smile on my face. Um, which, which kind of leads me to a question I have for you, Dave. Um, and, you know, I kind of want all of us to take turns answering this one. Um, kind of before we dive into the meat of this episode, um, obviously you've been, nice way I'll put this, you've been alive a lot longer than me and Michael. Uh, you've certainly had a lot more time to enjoy this music how you were young when this music came out you know talking about especially the first six uh van halen records um which uh, i know where your favorite stuff lies um what what kind of drew you initially when you were so young to this music like what sure what about this music means to you especially you know talking in terms of eddie's guitar playing so um I'm, that'll be the first of many old jokes that andrew makes this evening so buckle up um <laughs> So I, I really became aware of Van Halen, as you point out, I was a little boy, right? Um, I was born in 71. Van Halen was formed in 72. Um, so I remember, I mean, you know, FM radio when I was a, a, a little boy was still pretty new. And um, I remember first hearing Van Halen on FM radio. So um, driving around in the parents' car. And um, I distinctly remember, you know, you really got me. And especially Dance the Night Away. I think that's one of the first songs, you know, as a, as a kid that I really responded to because of that chorus, that bright sounding, 
um, you know, trademark Van Halen uh, chorus style, which is a mixture of um, David Lee Roth, the singer, um, certainly a little bit of Edward and, uh, and Alex Van Halen in there as well, but mostly led by the high tenor of Michael Anthony, um, patron saint of uh, bass players everywhere and Jack Daniels aficionados. Um, I mean, those songs really stuck out to me. So it was the singles. And then as I got a little bit older, um, you know, Pretty Woman, their cover of the Roy Orbison song um, was a radio hit. So that was kind of inescapable in and around 1982. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the first experience with Van Halen is just a, like a lot of people, you just hear it on the radio. But I distinctly remember uh, right around sixth grade, a very rainy afternoon, um, uh, my friend, uh, Scott Flory, uh, had taken his, I think it was his cousins. Uh, it was a relative. So it was like an older relative, uh, who had a copy of fair warning and he brought it to school. So, uh, indoor recess, it's raining outside. We go get the, the tape recorder, um, in the, uh, uh, in the classroom and we put in fair warning at lunchtime. Um, and the song that he was really taken with was uh, an instrumental called Saturday or excuse me, Sunday afternoon in the park. And we listened to that, I think, over and over and over again. And it's Eddie Van Halen, who is just beating on this Moog uh, synthesizer and getting all these crazy sounds out of it. Um, and then that leads into uh, One Foot Out the Door. And I think we probably flipped it over. And I know he played Sinner Swing because I had a swear word in it. And that was very... Uh, you know, titillating in sixth grade. So um, I would say probably that day I became, you know, an Edward Van Halen fan that, you know, you sort of hear this name, this mysterious sounding name, and uh, you don't really know what the music sounds like. And that was the day that I kind of said, yeah, I, I like that Eddie Van Halen guy. I think I want to pay attention to him. Um, and then, you know, a year after that, I probably had all their records and uh, I was uh, absolutely a fan, um, probably right before Jump came out. So that was a song that when that premiered on uh, FM radio, which is right before New Year's Eve. So that would have been like December 1983. Um, when that song came out on the radio, I was looking forward to it. Oh, this Van Halen group is going to put something else out. And of course, that was decidedly different than uh um, anything I'd heard before, you know, they're kind of uh, first foray into pop radio. So, uh, and, you know, so Van Halen's been with me since I was about 12 years old, if not a little bit before that. So um, to say that the loss of Edward is, you know, personally affecting is kind of an understatement. Um, so they've always been real close to me. I can't think of any big event in my life, no vacation. You know, we played Van Halen songs at my wedding reception. So they sort of, they sort of always I, against, against my, uh, uh, wife's wishes, I guess a little bit that not really. Um, but yeah, they've, they've been a part of my life for a long time. Let's, let's give that first song you mentioned there. Listen, I had Sunday afternoon in the park in the playlist because it was one of my favorites too. So if Ben, you want to play some of that just to give a little taste of some music.
it's funny that that's the first one of the first dave considering that's not your typical van halen song that's really synthy and almost like black sabbath level of like death (laughs) yeah it's kind of it's kind of like uh (laughs) hard rock meets like you know, doom metal or something like that on keyboard. It's, it's such a weird thing, but one of the things that's, you know, so it's a different sound for Van Halen. It was a departure. Obviously the rest of the record doesn't sound like that, but the one, the one sort of through line, um, and we'll talk about this probably with a lot of these songs is that it's Edward and Alex. You know, when we talk about Brown sound, which is, um, uh, the tone that Eddie's kind of famous for is that guitar tone, um, very um, thick sounding, sometimes with the phaser, um, you know, overdriven amp. Um, sometimes we think about it as, as just Edward's uh, guitar. But I think, um, you know, Alex's drums play a big part of that sound as well. I think some of these songs that we'll cover tonight, you know, the interplay the rhythm section of Van Halen was not Michael Anthony and Alex Van Halen. It was really Edward Van Halen's brilliant rhythm playing and his brother's brilliant drumming. And Mike Anthony was basically just singing backup, but God bless him. Before we go any further, like Andrew said, do you want to talk about your first encounter with Van Halen, Andrew, and kind of what stands out for you? Yeah. Well, actually I'm sure I'll go, but I also kind of want to hear, uh, a little bit about yours after before we yeah. start talking. I know you have probably the least to say in that front, but I, I mean, I, I still kind of want to know. We, we've talked about it a couple of times, but yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so I was first getting into music in eighth grade, like like probably closer to the end of eighth grade. I can remember just starting to become really interested in music, you know, listening to music. That's, that's kind of my thing. And if you guys, by the way, um, this is, not the first time Dave's been on the podcast. Uh, you can go back all the way to, I believe, season two, listen to our two-hour hair metal episode if you want to uh, hear us three kind of bash and also kind of enjoy some of the music we talk about there. But if you all, rem- if anyone, anyone who's listened to the episode might remember that I, I that's kind of where I started. It was hair metal, kind of not just hair metal, hard rock. You, you know, like that stuff that was loud, fast, and with a lot of energy. As you can imagine, Van Halen hit hit that, you know, nerve that I was at the time hard. I think Van Halen was an early favorite of mine. Uh, you know, the first time you hear Eruption, it's just something you don't forget. It's mind shattering when you hear like, oh, okay, this is, this is like, if, 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 if a guitarist could be a god, this is what he would sound like. Like, <laughs> And, you know, and, and, and we did an episode, I don't remember what it was titled, but also I think it was also back in season two where we, we talked about our favorite performers in music. And I'm pretty sure I said that Andy Van Halen is my favorite guitarist, and that has not changed since then. And in fact, that's been for the case pretty much since I heard Eruption. Um, like there is, there is nothing, like if I can, you know, there, there are a lot of guitarists that I can just sit down and just watch like a YouTube video or them or something playing. You know, I can think of BB King, Stevie Ray Vaughan would be a couple of names that comes to mind. No one more so than Eddie Van Halen. I, you know, it's just mesmerizing. And then talking about the music, you add on just the, the great, you know, drum work of Alex Van Halen and just the undeniable char- charisma of David Lee Roth and kind of got ruined when Sammy Hagar came in there, but that's a whole nother podcast. You know, that in 
Michael Anthony, but he was there as well. Uh, but, you know, just combined force of, all, force of all these four guys just led to, I think, one of the greatest hard rock bands ever. And Eddie Van Halen's contribution to that cannot be denied. So it was his band. So, Yeah. If I can piggyback off you then, Andrew, and mine will be really short because I don't have a lot of experience with Van Halen. I didn't have a this eye-opening experience the first time I heard Eruption, like so many of my friends have. The first Van Halen song I heard was Little Guitars, and it's because my dad threw it on my MP3 player when I was in like fifth grade. And like Andrew and so many other guys and girls I know that are my age, a lot of the music we are introduced to is, of course, from our parents. And of course, I know Dave's probably passing Van Halen to his son um, and so many other people are as well. But for me, you know, my guitarist has and always probably will be Jay Maskus and Van Halen wasn't there for me. Um, In fact, I even I've probably even shit talked Van Halen on this podcast before. Uh, Just the I never was impressed. And I got to say before, like we get into this meat, the meat of this episode, um, let me just take back everything I said, uh, because goddamn uh, listeners, uh, Dave did me a wonderful service and just kind of hand selected songs that he kind of guessed would be more catered to my taste, um, which uh, is more on the experimental side when Eddie is just kind of going crazy on the guitar and trying new things and innovating. And that is the side of Van Halen I think I can lean towards. And I find myself now listening to nothing but Van Halen all day today, all day yesterday, and probably all day tomorrow, because God damn, I missed a lot, man. And, uh, and that's going to be basically my tone this whole episode is, where has this been all of my life? But uh, yeah. Um, so, 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 so that's, and that's come up before because, um, the CM lifers, when they walk into my office, they'll see the, the wall that's sort of a, that I face um, uh, across from my desk is, is nothing but posters. And, and probably uh, 90% of those posters are Van Halen posters. So from like concerts and things like that, like advertisements. So I, I definitely remember you looking at that one day and just like, why them? And, and, you know, that's valid question. And especially because you don't like what, you know, we call hair metal, right? Um, that 80s hard rock kind of vapid. And, and, you know, I think you can probably see the difference now. The lineage of Edward sort of creates this new sound. And then when oh, the copy... They're all in the hair metal band. There's no way they're a hair metal band. When, when the, when the oh, copycats sort of take um take their place on the sunset strip after you know van halen's gone and they're they're touring the world um you can see how that gets watered down right the lyrics get dumber and dumber and dumber with every incarnation the 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 guitar players don't really show you any originality it's like who can try to play eddie's solo the second best the third best the fourth best right but now that you can kind of see where that music sprang from you can it, it gives you a greater appreciation for what he did and it also i think helps separate the pack right because i think most people would throw van halen particularly uh, you know i see eddie's career in kind of three stages we'll call it van halen one is the beginning right so from the start of the band until 1984 
Van Halen 2 we'll call Van Hagar years, right? Van Halen 3, pretty much early retirement, uh, very inactive through most of the 2000s, except for a couple of tours. Um, but for that first uh, for that first period of activity where most of his innovation happens, um, everybody's trying to sound like him. Everybody's trying to get that secret, you know, style of playing and stuff. And probably, I mean, like I said, you can kind of see where those bands came from now, but you can see how Van Halen is really apart from them. They're the originators. And as far as hair metal, I would never consider them that. They're a 70s hard rock band. As a matter of fact, as the poet laureate himself would say, David Lee Roth, they're not hard rock. They're not heavy metal. They're big rock. Um, so they created kind of their own term for that big being bombastic and that every song, I know Andrew's going to talk about hot for teacher a little bit later. Every song ends with what Dave would call the end of the world ending, right? It's that huge drawn out, almost a 60 second ending yeah. to a song that just, you know, makes you jump up out of your seat. And, um, you know, probably the thing that gets most of the hair metal guys excited uh, you know, the new, the new sound that, uh, and the new um, playing style that, that Edward is pioneering is Eruption, the most famous guitar solo in probably the history of guitar solos. Um, we got to play that real quick, by the way, because you haven't heard it yet. Maybe you'll have the experience. And, and what you hear is just some, some brilliant guitar playing, but underneath that, you can hear the classically trained pianist. Edward and Alex started out on piano before they did anything else. And you can see where he's referencing some Bach and maybe some Beethoven, but he's doing it in a way that um, basically sets a new standard for guitar players for the next 30 years. you what that picture on the on the front of the first van halen record edward holding up his guitar looks like it's on fire a little bit and he's just yelling he's just screaming he's announcing himself to the world and that's exactly what that music does yeah 
I can see the like classically, like the classical music in it, like the way it kind of bends and the way he's tapping up and down the scales. It is kind of like a like a Beethoven piano ballad or something. It, like that. It, 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 well, I wouldn't say it's a ballad. It's a little. T- <laughs> I don't know if ballad's the right word because it it explodes. It's an explosion, and I, I, you know, and I've said this before, and I, honestly, it, it's it's such an obvious thing to say. It's or at the very least, it's such an unoriginal pick. But sometimes unoriginality is there because it's just correct. I would argue this is probably the greatest guitar solo ever. Um, I know Michael, you'd probably disagree with that, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, no, it's just like how you, you said, just the bending and the, the tapping and just, you know, taking these pentatonic scales and just, just expanding it to just, just crazy degrees. That's what, that's some that's stuff that he did. And honestly, I don't know if you find a, I mean, I know this was the first record, you know, this is kind of their announcement, but quite frankly, this is probably Eddie's magnum opus, especially if we're talking about his, abilities as a guitarist and Dave you know that's something I also kind of wanted to you know talk to you about a bit um you know someone who's been listening to Van Halen for such a long time like kind of tell me some of the uh guitar techniques because you know I, I'm not a guitarist I don't I, I'm just not I'm terrible in fact when I listen to this stuff I'm like why bother uh really um so Kind of, kind of walk me through that a bit. What are some of the techniques that he developed or that he really perfected throughout his career and that he really kind of helped pioneer with with the guitar? Sure, sure. Um, you know, the one influence that Edward would always cop to is Eric Clapton. Um, he was a huge, he and his brother Alex were huge Cream fans. And, um, and just the, uh, uh, those long jams that that trio would go off on um, that was really, I, I know, inspiring to, to those guys early on to the point where they were almost like a, uh, a cream, kind of a jam band, like cover band uh, in California. Um, and, and it got them so far. I mean, they were certainly looked at as the best you know, musicians in Pasadena, but it wasn't getting them a lot of gigs. And, and Dave sort of broke them of that habit. Um, probably the two biggest things uh, early on that David Lee Roth contributed to that band was uh, getting them to play shorter songs, um, songs that, you know, people could actually like dance to and that sort of thing. Um, and also, uh, changing the name of the band to Van Halen. Um, up until that point, they were called Mammoth and, uh, they were going to change their name to Rat Salad, which is the name of a Black Sabbath song. Um, and, and it was Dave that actually said, you know, Hey, how about Van Halen instead? Um, so Eric Clapton, certainly one of those influences on, on Edward. Um, I think in Eruption, you can hear a little bit of Richie Blackmore. That's where a little bit of that classical guitar comes in as well. Um, as I said, they were going to name the band at one point Rat Salad. So uh, there's definitely a t- Tony Iommi influence there. You could probably hear that on that first record with Running With The Devil. Um, I would maybe even Little Dreamer, things like that. Um, but in terms of the techniques, um, I would say a couple of things that made him stand out right away, um, obviously, is picking technique. And I'm not a guitar player either, um, but his picking technique, um, very precise, uh, very aggressive sounding as well. 
Um, interestingly enough, he did not hold his guitar pick with his uh, pointer finger and his thumb. It was actually his middle finger and his thumb. And the, he, he held his pick really strangely, um, but that allowed him to get a little bit more speed uh, when he was doing those really fast runs. Um, I think that's one of those things that eventually you see a lot of um, heavy metal guitarists incorporate, particularly the thrash metal, speed metal guys later on, um, kind of that follow in the vein of like uh, Alex Skolnick or Dave Mustaine or someone like that. Um, certainly he's very famous for the finger tapping, right? So the story goes, um, you know, this, this is a technique that other people had used. He references seeing, um, Edward references seeing uh, Led Zeppelin back in, I think, 72 or 73 and watching Jimmy Page do that on stage. But Jimmy was playing one or two notes that way. Um, Billy Gibbons from uh, uh, ZZ Top, I think um, Jeff Beck at that point, um, also uh, had used uh, that technique a couple of times on record. But again, it's not really a style. Um, a guy named Harvey Mandel, who played in a band called Canned Heat, um, was living in Pasadena giving uh, guitar lessons. And uh, Chris Holmes, who was the guitar player in Wasp, a uh, very random <laughs> reference. Um, all these guys grew up together uh, in, in L.A., Pasadena area. Uh, Terry Kilgore is another guitar player that um, later on uh, would go on to, to play with uh, David Lee Roth's um, solo bands and stuff. Um, this, this Mandel guy uh, was giving guitar lessons, and he is a person who showed, um, I think it was Terry and Chris, uh, how to do that. Um, again, you know, Terry claims that he showed Edward this and Edward went, that's interesting. And then sort of left it at that. Um, but Edward really turned this into um, a significant part of his playing style. And it's got such a unique sound. It's so clean. As he would explain it, you know, you sort of elongate, you know, your hands when you've got your fretting and then you're, um, you know, hitting the different um, strings. Um, it's, it's like your hands twice as long. So, um, that's probably the biggest, most significant, you know, playing style, uh, innovation that he did. And of course he was the only one that was doing it. Um, Alex and, and David apparently in the, uh, in the club days actually, you know, kind of scolded Edward when he was uh, soloing on stage, they wanted him to turn his back to the audience during solos so that the other uh, hotshot guitar players in the audience that were trying to figure out how he was getting that sound, they wouldn't be able to watch him play. Um, and then of course, you know, a few years later, everybody on the sunset strip is finger tapping and things like that. So those are some of the big playing innovations um, in terms of, of him as a, um, as a technician, as a, as a, a person who's always chasing what he called the brown sound. It was that tone, that very thick, overdriven uh, guitar sound. Um, a lot of that was his Marshalls he played through. He's famous for never really, you know, buying expensive guitars. He would buy pieces of junk, and he would take them apart and put them back together, and beat them up and put them back together, and and. Um, you know, a lot of famous guitarists, um, trying to think of, over the past few days, people like Steve Lukather, or Ted Nugent, um, Neil Sean from Journey will tell stories about how they 
would visit Edward on tour or they'd go to his house and they'd pick up his rig. So his guitar set up his way, um, all of his amps set to his specifications and everything. They'd pick up his guitar thinking that they would play it and they'd sound like Eddie Van Halen. And they were so disappointed that it sounded like them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the other intangible with his playing style is it was just in his fingers, you know, and, and um, there's no pedal that's going to do that for you. There's no guitar neck uh, that's going to do that for you. It was just the guy who was just chasing these sounds in his head and figuring out how to make them happen. I got a chance to watch an interview right before this of him talking about, you know, that era of him ripping apart guitars and putting pickups and trying to create the Frankenstrat and stuff. And, you know, the lack of pedals and the technology and stuff. Also, I think he mentioned came from, he couldn't even afford a pedal. So like it all had to came from like necessity, improvising. What did he have lying around that he could just put in to make sure he got uh, ever more closer to the Brown sound? Um, you could, if you could pick Dave, just as an excuse to play some more music, a song that encapsulates uh, all of Eddie's best techniques that he created, what do you think that song would be? Wow, all the techniques. I don't know that there's one song that captures all the techniques, (laughs) Um, but I would maybe go to Out of Love again. Um, You know, the Van Halens were not just classically trained, but their dad was a jazz musician. They played in little jazz bands with their dad at like VFW halls and things like that. And I think the solo and out of love again really showcases that that um, jazz influence. Yeah, I love that solo. That's that must be one of my favorites too. It's just yeah. short. It's to the point. That's like that's like Miles Davis soloing on a trumpet. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, uh, um, you know, the you you mentioned the fact that you know Edward was was poor. Um, they migrated from the the Netherlands. You know, the Van Halen story is like the story of America. It's an immigrant story. They come over on the boat. Their dad is looking for work as a jazz musician. He's not finding it there. They decide to go to America. He's going to go to California entertainment, you know, capital of the world. Doesn't find any work there either. His dad becomes a janitor, this amazing musician, clarinet player and, and uh, you know, swing jazz uh, band uh, performer. And, and mom doesn't speak English. So she stays at home. As a matter of fact, the, the two boys, Alex and, and Edward, when they go to school, don't know any English. So they really struggle uh, early on. So they really kind of turn all their, their energy and put it into their instruments, piano, um, clarinet. I mean, you know, some stories about him when he was a little kid is he could pick up almost any instrument and just make some music with it. And then eventually, famously, Christmas time, they get a set of drums and a, and a guitar. So Edward's playing the drums, Alex is playing the guitar, and they both get really frustrated and they just switch and history is made. So they don't have a lot of money to do anything with, but the money that they had went into music. The Frankenstrat that you're talking about 
is a generic $50 fender strap body, uh, an $80 neck and everything else was laying around Edward's house. He rewound the pickups himself. Um, I mean, it's just amazing. And that of course is an, an iconic guitar now. Yeah. I mean, they, it's weird how sometimes how things work out sometimes. I do kind of want to jump back though and kind of bring up Out of Love again because it's a great song. That Panel 2 is one of my favorite albums of theirs. But, you know, talking about Eddie, it's, I mean, obviously he's obviously great at soloing. It's, that's undeniable, but he's also really good around riffs and just creating interesting sounding stuff. That, that song, I know you didn't hear it in, in the clip there, but it has like a really like, the riff has this really like aggressive groove to it, and it's got these cool, cool like whammies to it. I mean, it's it's great, um, you know. So I, I think I think that is a good example of how he was able to really bring interesting dynamics in terms of the guitar to Van Halen. Um, I do kind of want to move on to our personal picks here shortly, but Michael, just just to kind of wrap things up with, as someone who really wasn't familiar with this band too much, you know, especially talking about Eddie's, you know, guitar playing, what, you know, I know you kind of play guitar as well, so I want to hear from you, what kind of stood out to you about his playing? Yes, this is a great time to talk about the short snippets of acoustic music that we hear on some of these albums. Mm -hmm. I was talking about it with Dave earlier today, where I think there's no better way to actually get a read on a guitarist talents than to hear them play acoustically. And it was songs like Spanish fly and the intro to little guitars that actually kind of won me over on Eddie Van Halen. It was like, okay, I get it. I get it now. He's, he's great. And he picked up an acoustic guitar and was somehow able to just make beautiful music with it. And Dave has a great story about how he picked up an, uh, the acoustic at first, but we should hear Spanish Fly because this is actually one of my favorite Van Halen tunes. off i'm not kidding a fly actually landed on this book and i swatted it so i think that's a sign but <laughs> at least it didn't land on your head oh boy <laughs> but yeah that's that's it's just so cool like how it just kind of fits right in there in in the album and how it just stands up and he kind of more spanish style playing into his own eddie van halen way uh, which I brought up to Dave earlier. I thought it was the coolest shit ever. Yeah, I I'm very happy you brought this one up, Mike, because I love Spanish Fly. Uh, you know, when I first learned Van Halen too, I was like, when I first heard like the acoustic guitar, I was like, what is happening? And then he basically started shredding on an acoustic guitar, which I hadn't heard before. And I was like, oh, God, that's awesome. You know, and it's really because you get to hear 
because you mentioned earlier, you know, kind of talking about a good a mark of a good guitarist is how you can play acoustic. And I think it's really interesting when you kind of bring that up with, you know, Eddie, you know, you can hear, you know, his picking, you can, you can hear very clearly because the notes kind of, without all the distortion craziness going on with the electric, you can kind of hear more clearly his picking style, like his technique. And I think you can pick up a lot of those intricacies more. So uh, yeah, really happy you brought that one up, Michael. So the story is um, Ted Templeman, the, the legendary producer, um, uh, certainly the classic Van Halen records among many others like Doobie Brothers and uh, Van Morrison. Um, he would have a New Year's Eve party and uh, he always invited Edward and Alex over to that party. And uh, I think shortly after they made the first record, um, they went over for New Year's Eve. There happened to be an acoustic guitar sitting around like Templeman's living room. And Ed picked it up and said, hey, you mind if I play? I said, no, go ahead. He goes, yeah, I never play acoustic guitar. I don't have one. Um, so he sat there for a good part of the night. And like by the end of the night, he basically had kind of come up with something very similar to Spanish fly. And Templeman was just like, you never play acoustic guitar. You just picked it up and you just came up with that brilliant thing. He's like, yeah, no big deal. So when it came time to record the second record, he said, Hey, what do you think about doing uh, you know, uh, an acoustic solo? And um, thankfully we've, we've got that uh, recorded for all of time now. Definitely. I guess we can uh, segue now, right, Andrew, into the kind of personal favorites. Yeah, you know, yeah, just kind of time to mention some of our personal favorite records and songs, and you know, kind of talk about how Eddie, in particular, made them great. Although all the other members of the band are pretty talented, so if you want to mention something like that, go ahead. Um, I don't know who wants to go first there. I think but you, 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 um, you wanted to talk about a song that I also wanted to talk about off the first record, Andrew. That was one of your picks. Okay, yeah, um, I could bring I could bring one of mine up first. Uh, you know, uh, probably I would argue one of the most underrated, perhaps the most underrated for me at least, Van Halen song ever. I don't know if uh, Michael has heard this one, but I'm talking about "I'm the One," which is off of like they've said the uh, debut record. Um, well, "Eruption" is the standout to me on this on that record, of course. Uh, you know, as far as being the best, uh, "I'm the One" comes very close behind because you still got a lot of shredding, still a lot of great rhythm guitar from Eddie on that one, and just um, just these blistering riffs and these licks that just kind of intertwine with you know uh, Dave singing and Alex drumming on that one. Uh, it's such a great great song um and it's a shame because that's it's, it wasn't a single you don't really hear that one play on the radio like all the other big hits from there like running with the devil and talking about love um yeah it's just one that always stood out to me as being like just that and the other song i want to play later is kind of encapsulates everything to me what makes van halen great um what what, what did you want to say about that song dave the um the, the debut record which is like a classic record, you know, when all is said and done through the course of Van Halen's, you know, recording life, they sell, you know, more than 70 million records worldwide, three diamond records, which is uh, the first record, the debut 1984 and 5150. So that means that those three albums uh, sold 10 million plus each. Um, and on this record, you got uh, these classics, like you really got me running with the devil 
um, ain't talking about love, uh, ice cream, man. Um, I mean, everything on there is kind of a classic. And then you got this song, which might be the most bonkers song on the entire record. It has two solos from Edward Van Halen and then a barbershop quartet style breakdown in the middle of it, which is just amazing. And these guys, you know, one of the things that Henry Rollins talks about when, uh, um, he talks about Van Halen and seeing them for the first time opening for Ted Nugent back uh, in 1977 or 78 is that they own the stage. You know, David Lee Roth is talking about, it's nice to be with you again. And Henry Rollins is like, you've never been here before. What are you talking about? <laughs> and, and this is, this is a song where this is their debut record and they're talking about the record biz and taking care of the little kids and all this other kind of stuff. And it's just hilarious. But um, this is one of the, for me, this is one of my favorite moments on that record. Um, and you're right. It, it, in a record that is chock full of classics that see radio play every day somewhere in the world, if not several times a day, this is one that probably deserves a little bit more attention. Yeah. Fortunately, the, uh, the clip that I have uh, set off for this one does not include the Barber Quartet uh, part, which is a brilliant part. I guess all you listeners at home, if for some reason you haven't heard the song, you should just go listen to the whole thing anyways. But uh, Ben, do you mind uh, playing us I'm the One right from the start? confirm Andrew I did listen to this song it is also one of my favorites on the debut because this one and songs like Atomic Punk I think have the Eddie Van Halen nuances in there the harmonics you heard in this one and then like the scratching in some of the other songs that is like my favorite Eddie Van Halen nuances interesting right yeah, it's um, a good time. I, you know, I, I know that we're only playing snippets of these songs, but you know, uh, for all for all of our uh, listeners of Soundcheck, you know that there's a great playlist. And just looking at this playlist, like it just puts a smile on my face. There's just so many killer, killer songs on here. So, um, Michael, talk about your your pick from the first record, then. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely have to go with Atomic Punk. You you gave me three songs off the first record catered to my taste and that one came out automatically just first by the title because it's like oh you have this question where it's like are they going to take some punk influences because 
it's the seventies punk is popular or at least at its most popular. Um, but I'm glad to say there wasn't a lot of punk in it. And instead I got Van Halen at its full force. So Ben, you can play a little snippet of that if you want. Yeah, I mean, you can just keep listening and keep listening to those songs. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of don't want to stop it. No. And it's that, see, you heard that scratching I'm talking about and like how it's, you can hear the Black Sabbath in it and like what would eventually be thrash and just like, I don't know, that kind of stuff makes me happy. Um, just on that first record, a lot of flavors, a lot of textures. Um, again, I'm mad at myself for not listening to this sooner. Michael. So um, Edward I, said, I, I, Edward's, Sorry, um, I, I want to ask Michael something real quick. Sorry, go ahead. I don't know who's going. Who's going? This is the trouble with Zoom, but go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Dave. Uh, so Edward said that um, the Atomic Punk was started out. They said, let's write a parody of a punk song, right? So these guys, they play so sloppy and everything. And, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people know, but, you know, David Lee Roth was a huge punk rock fan. He was a big supporter of uh, punk rock bands in uh, Los Angeles after he had some success. Um, he he was part owner of a club called uh, Club Zero, where the Go-Go's played and Black Flag and uh, uh, X played there and um, Germs. So, um, so he kind of liked that. And, you know, Edward you know, this, this really talented musician, he said, well, let's, let's make a parody of the punk song. And, um, you know, he commented later, it, it, you know, in the end, it ended up sounding nothing like a punk song because they played too well. <laughs> they were just such good players. They couldn't figure out how to get a punk song and sound sloppy like that. So um, what started out with, with kind of, you know, silly intentions ends up being this classic killer of a song. For sure. We got to move beyond the first record, though, because there's some plenty of great hits that come in the David Lee Roth days. What's next for you, Dave, when it comes to your favorite picks? So we talked a lot about guitar so far. Um, you know, when I really started to develop more fandom for them, uh, as I mentioned, it was just prior to 1984 coming out. And um, when Jump 
was released as a single, everybody kind of had a freak out because you had the world's greatest guitar player um, spending too much time, you know, many people thought playing keyboards. And uh, the fact of the matter is that Edward had been experimenting with keyboards for a long, long time. We mentioned um, Sunday afternoon in the park, but the first time that we hear Edward really um, take up synthesizer is a song called and the cradle will rock. It's off of Women and Children First, which is the third record and uh, very famous for the spoken line from David Lee Roth, you know, um, uh, about junior's grades. <laughs> but the opening riff is as uh, Edward on his um, very first synthesizer, I think he bought, um, run through this amazing wall of Marshall stacks. And it's just got this amazing sound and for the longest time, nobody could figure out how he played this. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of And the Cradle Will Rock. This Have was you seen Junior's grades? <laughs> <laughs> this was the song I was listening to on my way to the office today on my bike. Would you say that out of any Van Halen song, is that the song that kind of defines your generation? Because like I was saying, I imagine like myself in an 80s movie listening to this song. No, probably not my generation. That's that's probably a couple of years before me. So who, whose generation? Jeff Spicoli from uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Probably his generation. Um, music to get stoned by um, and, and go lay on the beach and surf. Um, no, probably for my generation, if I had to pick one Van Halen song that kind of summarized, like, you know, what we loved about that band, I might pick Panama. Ooh, nice. I'm actually, I'm also very happy you played this one day because yeah, I've always loved this song so much. It, you, it's interesting you say like it, it sounded like he got the sound from like the, like the, the sound for the song from like stacking up a bunch of Marshalls, which is very apropos because the opening riff to me sounds like a building falling down. It's always just so great. How, like, I've always, I've always wondered, yeah, how they also got that sound on that, on that track. Um, yeah. Uh, Michael, do you have another pick that you want to play first, or do you want to go on to me? Uh, why don't you take this one? I okay. Think so um, I I want to play one more song since I know we uh, you know you don't want to drag this episode on forever. Though I might I could just probably play the whole <laughs> the whole initial run of Van Halen with David Lee Roth. But you know a couple of mentions a couple of ones I'll mention real quick. You know we talked about acoustic stuff earlier. I love Take Your Whiskey Home. Uh, I think that's a great song if you also like your uh um 
instrumentals, you know, sorry, sorry, acoustics, because uh, it starts with acoustic and eventually builds the electric stuff. It's really good. Um, you know, Hang em High off of Diver Down. I'm not the biggest Diver Down fan, but I I do love that track. It's a really standout one. Again, just kind of showcases uh, Eddie's uh, frenetic guitar playing. Um, mean Street, the opening to Fair Warning, which is either that or Van Halen 2. One of those two are my favorite Van Halen records. And Mean Street just got a great, like, it's got a great opener. It's got this really sick groove. Um, you know, it, it, lyrically, it's actually kind of interesting for Van Halen as well, as much as they could be under David. But if I had to pick one, my favorite Van Halen song actually comes off of 1984. Uh, which is kind of down there with Diver Down from being my least favorite of the David Lee Roth records. It's not saying they're bad, they're just not among my favorites. But one of the big singles from that record, and it's a little awkward one to say that's my favorite, but eh, whatever, I'm going to say it anyways. Hot for Teacher. No, not for the lyrical content before anyone gets on me for that. It, everything that I love about Van Halen is just condensed in this in this almost five minute track. I, oof, you know, it, it's so, I mean, beyond like David, you know, just David's crazy antics. Um, you talk about the instrumentals, you know, Dave, Dave, you and I were talking about this one yesterday, if I remember correctly. And, you know, you kind of said the song has like a, you know, a big band, a big band swing feel. And that's, that's basically what the song is, but somehow even faster it feels like, and just a lot crazier and heavier and louder. Um, and Dave, and you and you might want to say something about this. Uh, you mentioned kind of the dynamic between Alex Van Halen, you know, his drumming as well as uh, Eddie's guitar playing, and how they're almost not not battling per se, but you know they were trying to like you know kind of dancing around each other. You know, it's kind of push and pull between the two. And I think this track in particular is just a fine example of that. Uh, you kind of want to talk a little bit more about that, Dave? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we talk about all the different influences that the Van Halen brothers picked up. And, and you know, jazz is definitely one of those, those influences. And, you know, particularly their, their dad's style of music that, that, you know, he played as a professional was, was big band. So when you listen to that famous drum opening, right, so Edward comes up with uh, Eruption, which is a standard for all guitar players. And Alex comes up with Hot for Teacher, which becomes the standard for all drummers, right? Everybody wants to figure out how he gets that double bass uh, introduction. Um, when you listen to that, you hear Gene Krupa, you hear Buddy Rich, um, these really aggressive um, swing drummers. And then you hear Edward come in and it's very much a boogie, right? A lot of people listen to that, that riff uh, that Ed starts the, or that run that Ed starts the song with. And um, they can hear some ZZ Top in there, some boogie. But I really challenge you to, to think about it a different way. Listen to what Edward's doing on guitar and imagine that it's not guitar. Imagine that it's a horn section. You know, the way that he comes in there, Imagine that that's saxophone, that that's brass, right? That really is like a big band uh, swing song. 
Um, and you know, you've got, you've got David over top of it. He's having fun. I mean, you know, uh, in the studio, he, he basically sat there, they sat there in a group and they just made things up until it sort of kind of fit the song. Um, but I, I think that's a, that's an amazing, um, bit of musicianship there. Um, it was kind of in vogue a few years ago for, um, um artists like uh the bird and the bee and other folks to like reinvent van halen songs or hard rock songs in a different style big band was one of those styles um i would have loved to have heard someone's version of that that would have been really cool so uh i would love to hear a little hot for teacher yeah it's a it's a i would also like to hear that version as well but uh alas i think the original will suffice just as much uh ben uh do you mind starting this one at about the two minute 10 second mark uh i think that's uh we'll kind of hear a verse and a solo uh, as well and uh kind of help understand for anyone who may have not have heard the song why the song is so great things about last few days where you've seen all these tributes you know news news uh, reports and stuff about about edward's passing everybody cuts to that video where you see a smiling edward playing that solo and like walking down the uh the table in the library and that's just that's just a legendary uh uh music video and um it's it's one of the things that everybody always mentions is not just his style, but uh, the dude always played with a smile on his face, that impish grin, as uh, as Valerie uh, Bertinelli's wife called it. Yeah, you know, glad you brought that up, because I don't know if you've point blank set this up yet, but, you know, just, I mean, just listen to that song, man. I, I always, you know, it, it brings me, you know, again, barring the lyrical content, it brings me so much joy hearing how just the dynamics between all these instruments and just kind of, just everything that this band brings, you know, between David Lee Roth's just undeniable charisma and the drumming from Alex and the guitar playing from Eddie, you know, this band just, it's just the encapsulation of fun. This band was always just so much fun during this era, like just during those first six, first six records. I'd be hard pressed to find any band as fun as Van Halen was. So, and I think, and I think that song's a perfect encapsulation of that. 
Michael, do you have anything you want to add about the song before we um, move on to, uh, I think it's one of your picks. Yeah. Um, I mean, one more question to Dave about this record, because from what I understand, 1984 is very much Eddie's record. Like it, he had full, this is like the first instance where he has like kind of full creative control along with the producer, right? Uh, that affected the yeah. album. So it did. I mean, um, this is the first record that was recorded at 5150, which is his famous uh, recording studio at his house. Um, uh, he, he lied to the uh, city fathers in Pasadena and told him he was building a racquetball court because uh, he wasn't allowed to build a studio. So it is the, uh, it is the world's greatest sounding racquetball court um, where all of the later records were recorded as well. Um, but this becomes Eddie's home away from home. And actually that causes a lot of discord within the band itself. Um, uh, essentially, uh, halfway through the record, they sort of locked out, he and, and the, the engineer, Don Landy, really locked out the producer, Ted Templeman and David Lee Roth and the rest of the band. And Ed just worked 24 seven. Um, Ted Templeman famously had to go in and basically say, stop writing songs we've got a deadline and you've got a record done and we need to finish it. Um, let's, let's get it pressed and let's get it in stores. Um, but every song on there was what Ed was feeling at that moment. That includes jump It includes 1984, the instrumental that leads into jump. Um, one of the songs I sent you, that's kind of a, another one of those on the radio sometimes, but you don't always hear it a lot. I'll wait, which is um, a really, it's a more interesting keyboard statement to me than, than even jump is at that point. Um, but yeah, that's when Ed really takes control of the sound of Van Halen and the songwriting and kind of deciding that he's going to be the only one um, that, that sort of charts uh, the future for, for the band musically. Mm-hmm. And that includes no more cover songs. For sure. Yeah. And uh, just keeping the train moving. My last pick goes back to fair warning which i can probably say with at least 70 percent certainty is my favorite van halen album because i heard uh someone say this is the guitar player's favorite van halen album this is where it really kind of comes together and eddie just puts the name out there and the song i have queued up is hear about it later and it just kind of captures all those reasons that i just mentioned where um you know it it just has everything you want um and this is another one that i was listening to like last night as i was falling asleep and then the same one that kept me up for another three hours just because it gave me some uh, adrenaline <laughs> so here you go hear about it later can, can we can we pick it up at that cue ben
that's a that's a great song it's very that solo there's really kind of slinky sounding it's just it's really off the wall from anything else mm-hmm. um like that on the record that's one of my favorites too for sure Andrew, uh, michael yeah go ahead well, were you gonna say something i was gonna say i think we are starting to wrap up our kind of picks yeah. right i i i um, I agree. I think Dave might have one more he wants to play, but uh, before that, I do want to ask you a thing real quick, and I know this is mainly about Eddie, but again, since you really hadn't listened to Van Halen before, I, I am just, just to get like a quick a quick thought from you about what you think of David Lee Roth as a frontman. Mm, tough question, considering David Lee Roth is the exact opposite of the usual singer-songwriters frontmen that I listen to. Um <laughs> for now i think dave would agree better than sammy, sammy hagar <laughs> and i think uh, i'm winning the majority of van halen fans when i say that right pretty much um i mean you know that's that was always like a big like uh topic of, of debate um Is there anyone that prefers sammy yeah i mean i think you know they're sort of again you know van halen won the, the first six albums, I mean, just untouchable, really. There's some people that don't like Diver Downs and, and some other little moments here and there, but but largely that's their best, their creative period. Um, and Dave adds a lot to that band, you know, all the vocal melodies, all the lyrics, um, a lot of the song arrangements, um, you know, he would have collaborated with with Edward on. And it was really those two guys driving the band. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't Alex and Mike. You know, Sammy Hagar came as an established artist, um, you know, uh, again, 1970s guy. Um, I mean, a good voice. I don't particularly like his voice. Um, I mean, he's probably got a better range. He might have a stronger voice. I know live, he probably had a, a stronger uh, performance vocally. Um, but they lost a lot of character and a lot of their style when uh, they mm-hmm. split ways with, with Dave. And, um, you know, to me, Sammy's uh, kind of very generic front man. Um, I think one of the, the things that bothers me, uh, you know, moving forward now that Edward's passed away, there's a lot of really great music that Edward wrote with, uh, uh, with Sammy and the band. And unfortunately, I have to suffer through that music with with Sammy's bad lyrics over top. Um, when you look at songs like, uh, well, Andrew mentioned Pound Cake, which is just sort of despicably stupid. Um, the song Black and the song Black and Blue, uh, you know, oh. Van Halen dur- during the dur- during their their creative period with with Dave, you know, men and women love that band equally. And they were they packed themselves into those shows. Um, a different kind of fan um, really took to the Van Hagar stuff. Um, I was not one of those folks. Um, you know, I think they were probably at their best when Sammy stayed off of the double entendres and uh, wrote songs like "Right Now" or "Dreams," something that's a little bit more poetic. You can kind of be poetic and then incredibly crass, <laughs> like with, with like song through song on some of those uh, some of those records. Um, and then the last period, you know, Gary Sharon and kind of forward, they they really did not release very much music. You know, Edward really famously stayed at fifty one fifty and just played all day with his brother. So hopefully, right, uh, Wolfgang, his son, 
and Alex, uh, we'll go through there and they'll find some of those chestnuts for us. And maybe we'll get to hear some of those lost classics. Like, um, you know, they recorded several songs with Dave uh, back around 2002, 2001 um, that were never released. Um, I know that there's probably some stuff with Sammy that they didn't release. Um, so we'll see what comes out of the Van Halen vault uh, moving forward. But um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd pass. I will personally pass on the, uh, the, the Van Hagar records for the moment. Awesome. Any final, uh, any songs you want to play before we kind of move into the next segment of the show? Yeah, I, I will, so we'll go in a little bit different direction then. Um, the other song I had queued up, uh, which which I'm, I'm not going to play, but I'm going to mention is a song off of 1984 called Girl Gone Bad. Um, a really great interaction between uh, um, Alex and, and Edward. Uh, again, that, that, that pounding rhythm section um of van halen is really edward and his rhythm guitar playing and and then alex's drums um but i'm gonna go to diver down and i'm gonna i'm gonna switch up the tempo a little bit and a song that is near and dear to my heart it just sort of screams um the sun going down in july it's a song called secrets if you'd pick it up uh ben where where we had it queued up right before the solo great texture there with the bass and the rhythm section you're totally right where it's definitely a conversation one of the one of the my favorite parts about that song besides that really just uh wonderful solo by edward is uh, the lyrics for that we're talking about the difference between sammy and dave um david lee roth on tour uh would buy postcards and bumper stickers from like truck stops and stuff and basically uh he threw all of them kind of in a you know, pile or something and picked them out one at a time. And that's how he came up with the lyrics to that song. Wow. That's classic Van Halen. All right. Excellent. Um, all right. So um, kind of new to the last part of this episode, um, kind of to wind things down here. Um, we've, we've talked a lot about um, you know, the music, a lot about technique, but uh, Dave, I think but Michael, I want to give you the floor here and talk about any uh, Van Halen stories you have, especially with Eddie. I mean, you've already given a bunch of, you know, you know, stories throughout the episode. Do you have any more like that? Please share. If you have any personal stories, seeing them live or whatever, please share. You've yeah, given I mean, stories throughout our tenure at CM Life, so I'd love to yeah, hear another one. 
Yeah, if you like music and you work at CM Life, you you there's not a chance that you're going to walk out of there without hearing about Van Halen. But um, actually, this T-shirt is the last. I wore this the last time I saw Van Halen. The last time I will see Van Halen was in 2015 at uh, DTE. And you're right. I did take my son. Uh, that was the only time that he will have seen uh, Van Halen as well. And uh, I think they sort of knew that that was going to be, if not the last tour, one of the last tours. Um, and one of the things we learned through the news coverage of Edward's death is about two years ago, they were very close to launching a stadium tour with the original band. And that would include um, Michael Anthony. Um, they had uh, their, their manager, Irving Azoff, had a big plan, I guess. He was going to take out special guests on different legs of the tour. So you might have gone to Comerica Park and seen, you know, the original lineup of Van Halen headlining and uh, the Foo Fighters opening up or, you know, Metallica on some of those dates. That so would have been an epic, epic show. Um, but I was, I was blessed to see him uh, three, four times. Um, one of the times really, really quickly, just an exp uh, where journalism and, and fandom come together um, was in 19, I think, 92 or 93, uh, where they were playing a sold out show at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And I got a photo pass and uh, the sh show was sold out. The, the movie Wayne's World had just come out. So the song they played before they took the stage was Bohemian Rhapsody. And if, you've, if you're familiar with the movie Wayne's World, you know, there's the famous scene when they're in the car and the sort of the fast part comes on to Bohemian Rhapsody and they all start headbanging. Um, it was an amazing experience to be at the front of the stage and turn around and the whole place is like singing this song. And when it comes to that part of the song, every person at the Palace of Auburn Hills started headbanging at the same time there. That was just a cool moment. And then like kind of right after that, the lights went out and this was the four unlawful carnal knowledge tour. So they opened with a song pound cake. And again, I'm taking photos there. So I'm in the photo pit, you know, I'm not a tall person. So the stage is just a little bit taller than I am. So I'm on my tippy toes and it is pitch, pitch black and there's no lights anywhere. Um, you could just see the lights on the amps. That was it. Just sort of little, little pinpoints of light. So you hear that famous drill opening, right? And, uh, um, you know, I know the song. I, I'm very familiar with Van Halen. So I know what side of the stage to be on when the show opens up. So you hear the drill intro and you hear um, the drums kind of kick in and then the song really kicks in. All the lights come on. And I'm standing right in front of Edward. And the first thing I notice is this is what the bottom of Edward Van Halen's shoes look like because they're hanging right over the edge of the stage, right in front of my face. And he looks down, he gives me that sort of Eddie look that kind of thing. Right. And it takes me about 30 seconds to realize like, I've got a camera. I could take pictures of this. <laughs> so, so uh, somewhere I've got a, a, a I think two rolls of film, badly shot film. Um, I'm not a photographer. And uh, back, back in that day, I really was not very good with those cameras. But that was an amazing experience to be that close to your idol and being able to see him play live. And, you know, it doesn't matter at that point who's fronting the band. When Eddie Van Halen's playing guitar, just a couple, you know, 50 feet ahead of you, 
it's a pretty special uh, experience. So um, it's sad to me that I won't get to see him again. I won't have that experience because um, there was something about him playing live that was just um, otherworldly. Um, so that's gone, but I'll move into my recommendations real quick. We are certainly blessed with a lot of music left behind. And one of the great things, um, if you're, if you want to spend a whole uh, afternoon deep diving Van Halen stuff is to go on YouTube and so take a listen to some of the demos, um, the Gene Simmons, the famous Gene Simmons demo, um, you know, that's available. Um, there's so many unreleased songs. There's probably 20 really good unreleased songs and also snippets of music that, that later turned into songs. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to, to, to go find on YouTube. Um, but if you want to find out more about the band and how it came together and sort of um, how they got to be Van Halen, uh, I got two recommendations for you. The first one is this great book called Van Halen Rising. So this came out a couple of years ago. It is called uh, Van Halen Rising, How a Southern California Backyard Party Band Saved Heavy Metal. Uh, it is by uh, a guy named Greg Renoff. Um, beautifully written book. There's a ton of unreleased photos in here of these guys playing backyard parties in California, um, you know, playing high schools and football fields and things like that. It's an amazing story. Again, an immigrant story. Um, people who came to America to find a, a, a better way of life. Interestingly enough, too, as, as Dave would say many times, um, it's funny how this band that's so associated with the California sound um, kind of, you know, the next uh, the next evolution of the Beach Boys with a little bit better guitar player. Um, none of them are from California. <laughs> As he would say, you sort of take, you know, the map of the United States and you, you flip it on its side and everybody just rolls into California. Dave's from Indiana. Mike Anthony's from Wisconsin, I think. And then, of course, uh, the Van Halens are from the Netherlands. So Van Halen Rising details um, their early lives, um, the forming of the band, um, the first bass player, Mark Stone, who also just passed away a few weeks ago, um, all the way up into the recording of uh, the first Van Halen record. And uh, the book ends with them embarking on their first world tour where they would just mercilessly upstage an aging and tired Black Sabbath featuring Ozzy in 1978 and just really put that band out of its misery. Um, so that's the first one. The second one I would recommend is called Running With The Devil. This is written by uh, their manager, uh, Noel Monk. Noel Monk had the most interesting job in the world. Um, he was a roadie. Uh, he he um, was a, a, a touring manager for several acts, um, worked with people like Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix. Um, Prior, so prior to managing Van Halen on their first world tour, the gig he had before that was managing the Sex Pistols during their one and only tour of America. So he went from the Sex Pistols to Van Halen in 1978, which, wow, what the stories of this guy have are just amazing. So this takes us through that first tour 
So it kind of picks up where Greg's book leaves off and it takes us right to the end of the original version of the band where uh, David leaves in uh, 1985. And, um, you know, details kind of the ups and downs of uh, life in a, in a rock band like that. So both of those books, really well-written, amazing, amazing stories, and uh, will help put Van Halen in a whole new light. I mean, you, you brought it into the recommendation section by yourself, Dave. Do we, do we want to just continue with that, Andrew? Or do you have some final thoughts on Van Halen you want to add? Um, I mean, no. I mean, I, I think, Dave, um, you know, I, w- I will say this. One of my biggest, I don't know if regret is the right word, but the biggest disappointments in my life we'll have to live with now. So I'll never be able to see Eddie Van Halen live. And obviously, it's a bit of a selfish thing to say after someone passes away. Um, you know, obviously that's not the most tragic thing, of course not. But yeah, I mean, as someone like me who loves Eddie's, you know, music as much as I do, yeah, it, it's, it sucks I'll never be able to see that. You know, you know, Dave mentioning that. You no, know, Rollins has said that there's nothing like seeing Eddie Van Halen live. So it's a shame I'll never be able to see that myself. So, but anyways, yeah, I don't want to end on too much of a downer note. Although. Uh, my recommendation is not exactly the happiest sounding thing either. Um, so uh, I'm going to go something completely Wait. different. Oh, Andrew, before and- you go completely different, I'm back um, because my recommendation, I, I took a backseat for this because four people, it's kind of a too many cooks thing, especially with two guys who love to talk. But um, geez, you can really hear that I haven't been talking this whole episode. Uh I brought in a recommendation that is Eddie Van Halen related. I love Eddie Van Halen. I love metal music. This is shit I grew up on, thanks to my dad. But 1982, a 12-year-old Dweezil Zappa, (laughs) son of Frank Zappa, releases the single, My Mother is a Space Cadet, backed with Crunchy Water. I have the vinyl copy here. I'm playing it from YouTube because it's not streaming, so I'm kind of pulling a double Andrew. But um, <laughs> we're produced by Eddie Van Halen and Don Landy, who is a uh, engineer for a lot of the stuff that uh, the usual Van Halen suspects did. Um, Eddie Van Halen plays on the intro, allegedly. And uh, you, you really hear that influence. It's, it's a big, big dweezil ripoff, basically. But I like this song a lot, so... Y'all didn't think you'd be hearing the Zappa name on the Eddie Van Halen episode, but there you go. <laughs> they were they were pretty tight too. As a matter of fact, Eddie, they played a talent show, I think at Dweezil's middle school, and Eddie roadied for him. <laughs> and Dweezil played one of his Frankenstrats. At least one of the striped guitars. I don't know if it was this 
Frankenstrat or not, but it was one of Ed's guitars. That was pretty cool for a middle schooler to say, yeah, Eddie. Eddie, could you put my amp over there, please? Could you tune that up for me? Detune, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I'm, I'm very happy, uh, Ben, you, you interrupted me, although it did terrify me slightly because I thought something had gone wrong. Uh, but, no, I'm glad I got to hear that story. Um, I'll move on to, to, my, to uh, my recommendation, though. Uh, like I said at the start of the season, expect to hear quite a bit of post-punk for me in, in this section of the show moving forward, and uh, I have another example. Um, I have been listening to this artist almost exclusively, but apart from Van Halen this past week, it, it is it turned into a small set obsession now. I don't really know why. Uh, the band's called Echo Burial. Uh, it's Echo, and then it's all one word, Echo, the various... Burial is spelled B-E-R-Y-L. Uh, it's a, a duo from France. They kind of are on the more electronic side of post-punk, which is not my favorite side of it, but uh, their first record's a little more guitar-driven, and um, it's got a lot of really spacey atmospheres, which is just what I really like about post-punk. So, yeah, in this, this band, is again, like I said, it's just been an obsession that I've had for the past week, a lot of great hooks. Um, I, it, 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 this whole that first record's basically an earworm, uh, but not a bad one because the music is actually pretty good. Uh, I will. What I would like, uh, Ben, if you could play the song that I've been listening to the most from them, uh, which is uh, called "Prisoner." It's off the first record. Um, if you could play that, starting at I believe the twenty-second mark. dig that. Huh? that that's that's post-punk i could get into no doubt yeah, yeah. I, really, I really like that 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 chorus has just been just on loop in my head and maybe it's not always for everyone too so uh yeah probably didn't expect to hear some post-punk on the eddie van halen episode but uh, there we go um michael finish us off here yeah i i want to offer some final words on eddie and my experience going through this because i had probably the most unique situation researching for this episode in that I not only didn't know anything about Van Halen, but I can almost say I had some disdain for Van Halen and that got flipped on its head. And I never thought that could happen. And of course that comes back to Dave making a really awesome curated playlist for me. It comes back to actually going and doing some research, going out of my way, looking at some interviews, looking at some documentaries and stuff. And, you know, I, I realized this band isn't everything you think it is. It's 
it really goes a lot deeper. And I think, you know, Eddie once said in an interview that I watched earlier today, he was always more focused on being a musician, not a rock star. Um, and I think Dave can speak on that as well. Um, and I think I learned that in the last week or so. So I will be listening to more Van Halen in the future. And I think you should too. Um, I definitely learned something from this episode. So thanks for coming on, Dave. It was really fun. Um, my last recommendation is just for those listeners who maybe don't, the, like the three listeners, AKA our moms who listen to just hear our voices and maybe don't like the music, but will listen to us talk. So here's a John Lennon thing. Um, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, the, uh, it's from the newest uh, release, the Give Me Some Truth compilation that came out on John's 80th birthday on October 9th uh, last week. And, you know, I looked at this and I thought, okay, great. Another, um, another capitalist scheme to cash in on the Beatles. But I was actually surprised. A lot of these songs are perfectly mixed and some of the best I've ever heard. And this version of Oh Yoko um, is probably my favorite version I've ever heard of it. And um, one of my favorite John songs, period. Uh, I know the lyrics don't really hold up. They're kind of creepy, like kind of Van, most of Van Halen's lyrics, but here you go. <laughs> go, go the best way um, and it should be heard. Dave, I had to get my last jab in, but <laughs> those, those, those are not creepy lyrics. You're thinking of poison or Sammy Hagar. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, I I I want to say one more thing off of that. I'm I'm glad you kept it open mind. Very happy you actually because you're the one who recommended this. So I'm, I'm I'm very happy that you did this. Happy that you've um listened to you like Van Halen now. I never thought I'd hear, hear you say that, but Michael, welcome. Welcome to the dark side of dad rock. <laughs> anyways uh i think that's it for this episode um but uh uh this weekend though and uh, i'm very much looking forward to the next episode and i can think i share the same sentiments between uh michael and uh ben here i say that we're gonna be going through each of our record collections we're gonna uh do a little more video stuff here and we're gonna randomly pick out records from each other's record collections and kind of see what comes up you might hear something really cool might hear something unexpected. Might find something really embarrassing. Will we find the the, the hitting Britain's Britney Spears record in Michael's collection? Stay tuned to find out. And uh, of course, as we always do to end this episode, what do we say? Good, Good night, night, Detroit.
Carnegie, one to the ladies. 